I want to talk to you this morning about power in persistence. And you can persist all you want about getting this out of me, but you ain't going to get it. It's coming next week. Power in persistence. We've been speaking about power in multiple things over the past three or four weeks. And you know, it's amazing to me the way God works because I have no intention of making series until they come together. And then it's too late for me to recognize it. But we talked about power Three weeks ago, we talked about power in process. We talked about power in priorities. We talked about power in purpose. Today, we're going to talk about power in persistence or perseverance. But because I can't say perseverance very, much, very well, we're going to call it persistence. I like the definition of perseverance better, but I just struggle every time I say that word. The definition of persistence is long continuation of something. It's an act or quality of persisting. Or persisting means to keep carrying on. Stick it out. Stick with it. Don't give up. The definition of perseverance is a determined continuation with something. Persistence is just a long continuation. But perseverance is a determined Continuation. I like the word determined. I like the urgency. I like the passion of the word determined. That we're going to carry on. We're going to stick it out. Nothing's going to take me away from my path of persistence. Nothing's going to move me off the direction that the Lord has placed me on. That's perseverance. Easier said, persistence. <laughs> I'm sorry that my tongue doesn't work as well as it should. But that's what it's going to be. We're going to call it determined continuation of persistence. Now I want to talk to start off this morning by stating the obvious that no one ever wants to talk about. We're all alive here today. We are all breathing. Anybody not breathing here? If you're not alive, raise your hand. All right, I don't see any hands up. Everybody's alive here, but here's the thing that we don't want to talk about. We don't know how long we're going to be alive. Okay? We're alive right now, but we don't know how close we are to the finish line of our life. We don't know how close we are to the rapture. And I'll tell you right now, it's one day closer than it was yesterday. All right, it's one day closer. I don't know if it's tomorrow. I don't know. All I know is it's one day closer. I don't know how many more breaths I'm going to have. I don't know how many more times my heart is going to beat. So many times we, in some of the things that happen in our life, we get impatient. When things don't happen as quickly as we want them to happen, we don't know how close we are to the finish line, but yet we have a tendency to give up because it just didn't happen when we thought it should. That's why we're going to talk today about the power of persistence, the power of perseverance, the determined continuation of keeping going, of sticking with it, of not giving up. We have no idea how close we are. I, I heard a story about a young lady that was trying to swim the English Channel. And she got in on one side and she was swimming. She got in the France side and was swimming to the English side. 
And she got in the water, and she was going strong, and it, it, it got real foggy. It kind of got really bad weather, and she, got, she swam and swam and swam hours and hours and hours, 12, 13 hours, a long time in the water. And she was just getting exhausted, exhausted. And, and the people in the boat were saying, come on, a little bit longer. You're almost there. You're almost there. And it was foggy. They really didn't know how far they were, how close they were to the other side. But she just couldn't hang in there any, any longer. So she quit. She goes, I've got to get out. I've got to stop. She got in the boat, only to find out that they were like a quarter mile from the finish line. And she couldn't see it because the fog was there. Now, I've got to tell you, if the fog would have lifted and she would have seen the other side, she probably would have had enough courage, enough strength to go a few more strokes to make it. Where are you in your life? Is it foggy in your life? Are you at a point where you just don't know if you can make it anymore? Are you so downbeaten and so downtrodden and so discouraged that you just don't know? Well, I'm here to give you an encouraging word today. I'm saying hang in there. Be persevering. Be persistent. Have a determined continuation of the right steps that God has placed you on and don't give up. Now with that, we could end. But I'm not going to. Because there's much more to talk about. But that's the message right there. That's the end of the story right there. Don't give up. I see three major areas in life that we're to be persistent in. Number one, prayer. Number two, in the cares of this life. And in number three, in the endurance for eternity. Prayer, cares of this life, and endurance for eternity. Let's number, talk, let's number one talk about prayer. We are instructed throughout God's word to pray. We're to pray about everything without ceasing, with thanksgiving, with fervency, with expectation. When we pray, we are to expect something good to happen. We're instructed to pray. Prayer is the currency of heaven. As we pray, God takes those prayers and he converts, he converts the prayers of his children, meaning you and I, he converts those prayers into productivity. He converts those prayers into answers that bring effectiveness and relevance and productivity to us, the askers. Now, I don't know and I don't understand all there is to say about prayer. So this is not going to be a big theological discussion on the, on, on the, on the, the, the issue or the, all your answer. I'm not going to answer all your questions about prayer today other than to say this. We are to pray. God makes rules. I don't understand all of his rules, but I do understand that when he tells me one, I'm supposed to follow it. And I don't need to understand everything about God. If I could understand everything about God, he wouldn't be much of a God. Therefore, I don't have the right to question him. I just do my duty. I do my job, and that is to do what he tells me to do. And he tells us to pray. In James chapter 5, verse 16, in the King James Version, a version we don't read out of a lot here, but I like it. I like this particular verse. It says, Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Confess your faults one to another and pray. You know, confessing one's faults, I've seen in some translations it says confess one's sins to each other. And that has negative connotations to it. This is not a big um, public confessional. 
of your sins. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about confessing one's faults, or in other words, bringing your needs before the body. Bringing the things that are bothering you in front of the body so that we know how to pray for you and that you know how to pray for me. You know, we so often play this game in church that I think is uh, very distasteful to the Lord. This church, it was mentioned in the Sunday school class, that this church is not a country club and it's not a place of social gathering just to have fun. It's not a party place, even though we can have fun here. But this church is, is a couple things. Number one, it is a place of warfare. It is a place where we come in and do spiritual warfare against the enemy, as, we, as we've done already this morning. But this church is also a hospital. It's a hospital for those that come here with broken hearts, emotional needs, financial needs, spiritual needs, physical needs. But yet, why when we come into church, when we're hurting, when we have these problems in our life, why do we so often come in, as soon as we enter the doorway... And somebody says, hey, how you doing? And I'm saying, I'm doing great. I couldn't be better. You're lying through your teeth. Why do we do that? Why do we, why do we deny the fact that I have a problem when I'm coming into a hospital that can take care of my problem? That's why when it says confess your faults one to another, it's saying be honest with each other. Yes, you have a hurt. And it's nothing, there's nothing wrong with admitting the fact that you have a hurt. Therefore, come into church, and this is, not a, this is not saying that we have to wear our hearts in our sleeve and we're a big pity party and every time somebody talks to us, we're down in the mouth and woe is me. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being honest. Sometimes you come into church and you are doing great. And that's great. But sometimes you come in with a hurt. And if you want to leave church a little different than you came in, then be honest and say, I, I, I'm hurting today. I'm hurting. I, I, I was beat up this week. The enemy kind of hit me a few times this week. Or I fell on my own a few times this week. You don't have to go into any detail. But here's the thing. If we're functioning as the body of Christ, we're doing exactly what Sandra and Lawrence did today and what Sean did today and what others have maybe are going to do, I don't know. But you're going to give what you have to help. And we can do that in a trusting way. But this isn't a gossip center. This isn't a time to come in and say your problems and then say, oh, I shouldn't have said that because now it's going to be all around town and people are going to talk about me. Let me tell you right now. If you talk about somebody that comes out of this church, shame on you. This is not a time to pick up gossip centers. If you're talking about people because you hear a prayer request, stop it. That was in my notes. But it must have been a reason to say it. There must have been a reason to say that. So let's just understand, if somebody comes to you and they have a need, be trustworthy. Be a friend that's not going to share their secrets, just like you wouldn't want them to share your secrets. And let's pray about it. Amen? Amen. Jesus told a parable in Luke chapter 18. He, talked to, he, he told a parable about an, a widow lady that she was called a persistent widow lady because she wouldn't stop bugging the judge about the problems that she had. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. 
Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust just judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This is a really interesting passage. The reason that Jesus told this parable was to show people that they should always pray and never give up. Never give up. Never stop asking. You cannot ask too many times for God. Now, I know that we've all had children, those of us that are parents, that have kids that constantly asking questions. Dad, hey, Dad, 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 Mom, Mom, Mom. And it drives you crazy, doesn't it? Don't you wish sometimes they'd just shut up? But I'll tell you, God, our Heavenly Father, never wishes, wishes for us to be quiet. He never gets tired of hearing us call, Abba, Father, I need help. Help me, help me. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't get tired of that. He's endless. He's endless in his patience for us. So understand that. Who, who gets tired of hearing you say it is the devil. So when you feel like you've said it too many times, it's the devil telling you to stop because he wants you to stop being perseverant or persistent. He wants you to stop. Don't stop. When you feel like it's time to stop, that's the enemy saying stop. That's when you say, I'm going to say it again. That's when you get stubborn. You get stubborn against the enemy. Don't get stubborn against God. Don't put your heels in against the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit's leading you, that is not the time to stick your heels in the ground. That's the time to flow with them and move with them. But when the enemy comes and starts talking to you, that's the time to stick your heels in the ground and say, Stop it. I'm not going there. Leave me alone. I'm doing what God is asking me to do. So that's what you need to do when you find that temptation to stop praying because the, this, this is a great example that Jesus is telling his disciples to keep praying. Asking. Now, why do we ask? Because God can't hear? Because God's slow in hearing? No, that's not true at all. First John chapter 5, verse 14 says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears it. He hears it. Anything according to his will. Uh, we don't like that part, though. Well, we don't like that part. We just want to hear anything I ask, God hears. Well, he hears it, but yet he has a filter. And God's filter is his will. And so we have to be careful then when we ask that we're sensitive to the fact that we have to get on the same, the same path, the same filter language that God has, and that is his will. Um. I know this is contrary to a lot of people's thinking because some people have been taught there's a name and claim it. Anything I ask for, God will give me. That, that's kind of a genie. And I don't know that we can really call God a genie. I think we call God a God. 
And when God is God, he is sovereign and he has a will for us and he has a plan for my life and he has a direction for me and he knows my end from my beginning and he knows what needs to happen in my life to, to, as I'm trying to follow him and trying to, to take steps in his path that he has to allow certain things to happen in, in my life so that, I have, so, so that I have the outcome that he wants. So... The prayer thing gets a little bit confusing sometimes, and I, this is where I want to be careful, because I don't want you to think that you can pray for a Cadillac and think a Cadillac's going to show up, unless it's in God's will. If it's in God's will, guess what? You're getting a Cadillac. Or, if it's in God's will, you might get an Impala. There's nothing wrong with an Impala. I have one, gets great gas mileage, and I love it. I don't care what I have. I just want to be in God's will. And when I'm praying God's will, when I'm persistent in praying God's will, the answers are going to come because he's going to hear it and he's going to give it according to what he wills for my life and for your life. And it may not be what you want, but it'll be what's good for you because it'll be what God wants for you. And when we can understand that, when we can grasp that and we can be comfortable in that, it takes a lot of competitive spirit out of the church. It takes a lot of judgment out of the church because you don't have to look a certain way for God. You have to look a certain way for me because I'm a man. But you don't have to look a certain way for God. He says, you come as you are. You don't have to clean yourself up, nor do you have to tear yourself down. If you're wealthy and if you're rich, you come the wealthy and rich. If you're poor and downtrodden, you come poor and downtrodden. Don't, tear your, don't, don't build yourself up and don't tear yourself down. You come just as you are, and he will work with what you are. We think that we have to be poverty. We have an issue, or we have an, we have an whenever we go to an extreme, we have a problem. If I say uh, I have to be, I'm preaching the, the, the poverty message that, no, I have to give everything away, before I can be holy. That's not right. There's nothing in the Bible that says that. Now, in the early church, when they gave things away, that wasn't because God wanted them to be poor. At the same time, if, if the Bible, if somebody says, well, but God wants prosperity, God wants health and strength and riches for us, and we have to be rich, and we have to have everything we want in life before God's showing that he's blessing us, that's not true either. I don't see that in the Bible. What I see is God wanting to meet my needs and God wanting me to be contented wherever I am. That takes a lot of pressure off, doesn't it? You don't have to be a certain way to fit into this church, to fit into, to, to, to fit into the body of Christ. You just be who you are and then let Jesus clean you up. If he wants to tear you down, he'll tear you down. If he wants to build you up, he'll build you up. You don't worry about it. I don't worry about you. You don't worry about me. Love me, and I'll love you. And when we love each other, then we're doing what God wants us to do. Amen? The widow represented a person that was poor, uneducated, without any political power or influence. She was totally dependent on the help of the judge. If she was going to have any resolution or relief in her situation, she had to get it from the judge. That's the way we need to be with God. That's the way I need to get with God, that I need to know, I need to know that I am nothing. 
I am totally dependent upon him. And when I can get that resolution in my spirit, then I'm like the widow. Now I keep asking. 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 See, the judge was a wicked man. He didn't fear God, nor did he fear people. So he didn't do it for the right, he didn't do it for the right reason. He didn't, give the, he didn't answer the widow's request because he cared for her. He gave in because he didn't want to get beat up. Now, I'm sure this widow wasn't going to beat him up, but I think he could have been beat up politically. I think he could have been beat up by his reputation in the community. And I think he was more concerned about doing the right thing for her to protect him Not her. He didn't care about her. See, the difference here is that God, our Father, cares about us. He cares about you. He loves you. Do you love your children? Do you do good things for your children? Yes. Yes, you do. And God loves you more than you love your children. If you can believe that, if you can believe that, God loves you more than you love your children. So why wouldn't he then want to do good things for you? He does. He does. But keep asking. Why do we keep asking? A lot of it is because we need to know in our own hearts, why am I asking for what I'm asking for? Or how important is it to me? The prayer that comes over the dinner table or before I go to bed at night uh, may have some truth to it. But if I don't feel the burden of the prayer, then I probably won't keep asking. More, the asking is more for me than it is for God. It's for my benefit that I keep asking because it helps prove to me what's really important to me. What's really important to me. And then when I start to see what's important to me bubble to the surface, and I can deal with it. And I can start dealing and I can start judging it. I can judge myself. I'm supposed to judge myself. I'm supposed to judge my desires. And when I keep think, think, seeing this one desire keep coming up, keep coming up, keep coming up, I need to judge it. Is it right? Do I, should I pray for that or should I put that away? Should I keep believing on that or should I, should I understand that's not really what I need to be praying for? So as you keep asking, it helps you then filter out the stuff as well in our life. Because we can be our own worst enemy. We can be our own worst enemy when it comes to expecting God's um, blessings on us. Our perception, we talked about it in the Sunday school, what happens, um, why don't we... Um, I don't know exactly how you said it, Scott. You were so eloquent in it. But um, why don't we get what God wants for us today? Most of the time it's because we're not perceiving it right. Our perception is different than the way God's going to show up. So it's my perception, my ideas, my, my opinions that, that get in the way of God's truth so many times and we just need to filter that through and we need to let that go and we need to then understand that God has a better plan. God has a better plan. According to, according to Paul, uh, Paul was a um, very, very godly man. Probably the most powerful man besides Jesus that walked the earth spiritually. But he had a problem. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10, we see that Paul says, let's read it. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. 
That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, Paul's had an interesting perspective here. Paul prayed three times. So does that say that we can only pray three times? No. I think Paul would have kept on praying. I think he would have kept on praying for that that thorn in the flesh, whatever it is. Nobody knows what the thorn was. The significance of this fact, though, is this. Paul would have kept on praying and praying and praying until the Lord told him to stop. There comes a time when the Lord might tell you to stop. When my dad was di- when my dad had died, uh, his, I was here the morning of the funeral, and um, and he was here. The casket was here, and it was just me and my dad. No one was here. It was early in the morning, and uh, and I prayed for him. I prayed that the Lord would raise him from the dead. I laid my hands on his head, and I prayed with all the faith I had. And I said, Father, you can do this. You can raise him from the dead. You did it. You did it to Lazarus. You did it. You can do it. And as I prayed, I really felt, I really prayed, but then it wasn't long into that prayer, and I felt a real strong check in my spirit to stop it. To stop it. Because it was was not right. Because I wasn't praying right. Because I couldn't have handled the results, is what I felt. Nor could my dad have handled the results. If he would have raised from the dead, if I would have raised him from the dead, I don't think I could have handled the pride. Now, I know I'm stepping on real sensitive ground here because there are some people that say you can raise people from the dead. And you can. When God says raise people from the dead, raise them from the dead. But he did not tell me to do that. That was not in godly order for me to do that, so I had to stop it. Sometimes we pray for things with the wrong intention, the wrong motives. So be sensitive to why you pray. Be sensitive to what it is. Now, I'm not telling you a theology here to pray how to pray. That happened to me. That was that particular situation. I know there are other people that raise the dead. And I, that is awesome. That's great. That's the way the Holy Spirit works. If the Holy Spirit raised, told me to pray for somebody that gave me the faith to raise for the dead, then I would pray that way, and I would expect it to happen. But in that particular situation, it wasn't going to happen, so I stopped. Paul stopped. Paul said, Paul could have had that thorn thorn removed. God could have removed that thorn, but the Lord said, stop it, Paul, and carry on. So we stop it, and we carry on. And I love my dad, and I wish my dad was here, but you know what? I'm going to see my dad in heaven, and I don't really, I, I miss him, but that's okay. Life goes on. That's what it's all about. I have thorns in my flesh. You have thorns in your flesh. You pray. If God doesn't answer that prayer, carry on. Move on. Don't, don't dwell on them. Don't, don't say God is never going to answer my prayer anymore because he didn't answer that prayer. That's a lie. Where does that come from? That doesn't come from God. Carry on. Keep moving. He's going to bless you in where the areas that he wants to bless you in. And then you're going to be contented in that area as you carry on and do the things that God wants you to do. Amen. Let's talk about the cares of life. There are a lot of things that come against us in life that require persistence and perseverance. And when it comes to life issues, it's a matter of staying the course. Sticking to it and just plain getting the job done. Don't give up. Don't give up. I was going to read a story about Charles um, um, Schultz, 
but I don't have time, so I'm not going to read it. Basically, what it was was Charles Schultz, Peanuts, that guy. There's that tongue thing coming again. Charles Schultz was a loser all through life. He couldn't pass a grade. He couldn't pass a test. He couldn't. He just wasn't good at anything he did. He didn't do well. He wasn't um, uh, in school, and his, he was awkward socially. He never asked a girl out for a date. He never went to a dance. He didn't know how to handle his life. He just everything he did, he lost. He was he, one time they said he was on a golf team. He was on a golf team, but he lost the match that would have won the tournament for the team. He's a loser. Charles Schultz couldn't do anything right. He was a good artist, but he wasn't good enough. He wrote in and he submitted his artwork to Disney, thinking he might be a Disney, uh, a Disney artist, and he got rejected. Wasn't good enough. He wasn't good enough. So Charles Schwartz, Schultz, Charles Schultz, Peanuts, what he did is he wrote his autobiography in the form of Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown was Charles Schultz's life. He never could hit the football. He couldn't get his kite to fly. And then he became Charles Schultz, Peanuts, that's affected all of our lives. Who has not seen a Charlie Brown cartoon? Anybody not seen one? But he didn't give up. He kept going. So powerful is perseverance that failure cannot exist in its presence. Thomas Edison observed, when after thousands of efforts to make the electric light bulb production, no illumination. And he said, I haven't failed. I've identified 10,000 ways this doesn't work. But I haven't failed. So keep digging. Keep digging. Keep digging. What does the Bible say about perseverance? Romans 5, chapter Chapter 5, verses 3 and 4 says, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance develops or produces character, and character produces hope. Each step of this cycle of what we would call difficulty produces in us one step closer to the transformation to make us like Christ. One must see all the positive characteristics of Christ in this process. Last week we spoke about the purpose that Jesus had as he came to this earth. And his purpose, his main purpose, among many others, but his main purpose was to destroy the work of Satan. That's why he came, to destroy the work of Satan. But yet Christ had to suffer in this purpose. Now how did he suffer Obviously, besides the cross. How did Christ suffer? How did, how did Romans 5 carry through in Jesus' life where suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope? Um, Jesus was fully man, at the same time fully God. You don't think Jesus had to develop some of these characteristics? As a man, Jesus had to develop things. As God, he was already God. He was already there. But yet, because of the mystery of his manhood and his godhood, we have to understand that he had both to deal with. He had both. He had, in his man, he had issues to deal with. He had, he had characteristics to develop. 
Jesus suffered, I believe, a lot prior to the cross. Understand that when Jesus was a young boy, you don't think he took any ridicule from his peers? You don't think he maybe was laughed at a little bit because of his um, right position of life? Let me ask you, in your situation, when you're in your school gang, high school kids, college kids, when you're, what you're, when you're working with your peers, if you make a stand for Christ, and not a stand that says you put a placard on that says the end of the world's coming, you're making a fool of yourself, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just being a holy man, or a holy man, or a holy woman, or, or a, a person that doesn't do wrong because you know it's wrong to do wrong. I'm just talking about living a right life. Do you ever get persecuted for that? Do you ever get laughed at a little bit for that? Yeah, sure you do. That's suffering. I think Jesus suffered a lot that way. I think he got a lot of people saying, who do you think you are? And it was before his time. So he, when he was anywhere from five years old, where he was probably reaching the accountability ages, all the way up to 29 years old, when he, you know, 30 years old is when he began his ministry, all that time in there, he had to live a holy and a natural life. And he had to take a lot of stuff from people, a lot of guff, a lot of, a lot of just probably really, really bad stuff that he had to take from people, and he couldn't react to it in a negative way. Wow. You don't think that's suffering? You don't think that developed a little bit of character in his life? You don't think that that character development in him was also for me? So that I can learn maybe to deal, that I can maybe learn how to develop some character when tough things come to me, when the kids laugh at me, or when I get, when I get ridiculed at work, or in college, or whatever it is, where I can then stand for Christ. And you don't think that develops character? Yes, it does. And then after that happened, or after Jesus had had, had the, the perseverance to develop character, then comes the hope. And yeah, he suffered a lot at the end of his life. The last hours of his life, we can't even begin to comprehend the suffering that he suffered. But he had a hope. He knew his purpose. He knew why he was doing what he was doing. And he persevered through that through all of that, with the hope of seeing his Father one more time. And because of that, I have hope. And because of that, you have hope. And so now we then can take that, that all the characteristics that Jesus developed, and then we can apply them in our life. Sometimes the hardest times for us is just living life in a way that we can get through. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, in the English Standard Version, it says, and I love these two passages of uh, these two scriptures. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We are to walk in a manner pleasing to the Lord. We are not to please men. I'm not walking my life to please men, but yet I will please men when I please the Lord. My motivation has to be to please God. I bear fruit in every good work, meaning that I'm going to be productive 
Fruit is a productivity tool of the tree. People and things and animals are nourished from the fruit. Reproduction happens from the fruit. Bearing fruit in every good work is meaning that I'm going to be productive. We are going to be life givers and thus we are going to be relevant and effective. We're going to be just like our mission statement says, that we are going to be heavenly effective through earthly relevance as we are fruit bearers for Christ. And we're going to constantly increase in the knowledge of God by doing Bible study, by coming to church, by praying. Let me throw out a challenge. By being in church when church doors are open. I know I'm getting hard here. Come to church Wednesdays. Come to church Sunday nights. Come to church on Tuesdays. Doesn't mean this is the only place you can grow, but you know what? There's good growth happening here. There's good Bible teaching happening here. There's good truth being spoken here by whoever's teaching. I trust all the teachers we have in this church that they're, pre- that they're teaching and preaching the, the Word of God. It's good stuff. You need to be here. That is fruit-bearing, and you need to be here so that you can fertilize your tree, so that you can develop and you can, and you can bear good fruit. Endurance for eternity, number three, and we're going to move on here pretty quickly. Endurance for eternity. Colossians, let's continue on with that, uh, verse 11 and 12. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance. Saints in light. So we're to be strengthened with God's power according to his glorious might, not my might, but according to his might, for what? For endurance and patience with a sorrowful look on my face, with a woe-is-me attitude, with, oh, I can't handle it anymore. I'm dying. This is killing me. I want everybody to know how miserable I am so that I can share an inheritance of the saints in light. What? Oh, Oh, let me read it. It says, with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified me to share. So I'm supposed to walk this life not in a way of my own misery. I'm to walk this life with endurance and patience with joy. Ha! Joy. Joy in the midst of losing a job, Riley. Joy in the midst of having problems, those that are struggling with, the, with, with emotional problems or physical problems or, or other issues. Joy. Where does that joy come from? It doesn't come from your natural man. I'll tell you that right now. It comes only through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you, when you grasp that and when you are persistently holding on to that and don't give up with that, He will give you the joy because you have hope, because you have character, because you've persevered. So it all works. It works frontwards or it works backwards. You just live in it and you just give thanks in it and you know where your strength comes from. Determined continuation. Perseverance. You know, there are those, though, that uh, don't see it this way. Don't see it this way. And I, and I want to encourage you. 
But I want to say some things that are going to uh, help you in the areas that hopefully you need help in. Romans chapter 2, 6-11 says, God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, meaning all of us. Verse 11, for God does not show favoritism. So for, for those that by persistence or determined, determined continuation don't give up in well-doing and good-doing, they will have eternal life. You will get to the end. And there will be many, many blessings along the way. But for those who do the opposite, they will have opposite results. It really comes down to a matter of choices in our life on what we are going to be persistent in. Some of us say, well, you just don't understand my situation, Pastor. You don't understand my problems. My problems are so big. My problems are so evasive. They're so big. They're such a a strong habit. I just can't stop it. I can't quit. I can't get over it. I can't do this. I can't, I can't, I can't. That's the can'ts coming out or the cannots coming out. But let me tell you something. Let me tell you you something in in, in love right now. I love you. I love you. But I'm going to tell you that's nonsense. I'm going to tell you to stop it. And I'm going to tell you that because 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. Hang on, just follow this with me. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did. And they were killed by the destroying angel. This is what I'm talking about. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. No No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. What I'm trying to say in a real careful way is that the Lord will never take you more than what you can handle. He will give you a way out of every temptation, of every issue that you have. Now, yes, you may have some real problems in your life. I'm not denying that fact. Some of, you, some of us may require professional counseling. That's okay. Get it. Don't let... Any excuse get in your way to not get the help that you need to have because the excuses aren't going to cut it. When you get to heaven, when you stand before Jesus and you say, I didn't do it because I had this lifelong addiction, he's going to say, I gave you a way out. 
You didn't take it. You go, I, I gave you counselors. I gave you trained counselors that you could have gone and you could have seen. I even gave you an insurance plan. You didn't take it. You cannot take and blame your problems on anybody else but yourself. And believe me, I'm saying this in love. I'm not angry with anybody. I have no bone to pick with anybody. I'm telling you this because nobody else will. And this is the best place to say it because this is a hospital. In the hospital, the doctors come and they tell you the facts. They tell you what the charts read. They tell you what the x-rays say. They don't make it up. They don't look at the x-ray and say, he's got a broken bone, but say, no, it's just a sprain. They tell you what the x-ray says. And I'm telling you what the Word of God says. Don't make excuses for yourself. Don't let yourself off the hook. Be persistent. Persevere. Dig in. Develop the character that you need to have in your life so that you'll have the hope of eternal life. As we conclude, we live a life of continuation. It's not a life of starts and stops. It's one thing after another. It's continuation. Are you determined to make your continuation a godly continuation? Are you determined to live in your life the way God wants you to live? You know, we have a lot of fears and a lot of concerns that come in our life. And we make a lot of plans based upon what ifs. What if this happens? How am I going to handle it? What if that happens? How am I going to, am I going to be able to handle it? And here's the deal. Most of the time, those what ifs never come to bear. But yet we'll stress over a lot of stuff that may never happen. So a little bit of advice would be to stop doing that. <laughs> stop stressing over your fears of what you think is going to happen because you don't know what's going to happen. It may not be that bad after all. But here's one thing that is going to happen. That's what I said at the very beginning of the sermon. Life's going to end. That will happen. Your life is going to end. Someday, somehow, some way, either through the rapture of the corporate body where we're all raptured together, or your own personal rapture of your death, your life is going to end. Now, here's the question for you. Are you going to be persistent in it? What do you want when your life's over? Where do you want it to be when it's over? Do you want to be on the roll call that says, well done, thou good and faithful? Are you going to persevere now? Are you going to be persistent now? So that when your life does end, however it ends, that you're on the right side. This is a message of hope. This is a message of encouragement. This is not a message of condemnation. We're going to pray. We're going to dismiss. You're welcome to leave. If anyone wants to stay and pray, the altars are open. Church tonight at 6 o'clock. Just thank you for being here today. Father, we thank you for your mercies and your grace. Lord, help us to remember the word that was spoken today in our times of difficulty, our times, Father, where we don't know if we should keep on or not, that we would know that you have a purpose a plan that we're to be persevering in it and be persistent in it, we pray. Go with us now today, Holy Spirit. Go with us, I pray. Protect us. Guard over us. Watch over us, we ask in Jesus' name.